Good morning. It is good to be here. My name is Jason. If I haven't had an opportunity to uh, meet you, my wife, Lindsay, here, uh, we are um, grateful to be the pastors of Two Rivers Church. If this happens to be your first time with us, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we are in a series. This is, feels a little uh, loud for me, Andy. Thank you, brother. Um, we're in a series in Galatians, uh, and we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. So I would invite you to turn there, but also turn a finger to Genesis chapter 12. So we're going to talk a little bit about some stuff in Genesis 12, and then we'll spend most of our time in Galatians chapter 3 this morning as we continue our series in the book of Galatians, which is entitled this series for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us uh, free. So I want to start with a statement that I just want you to consider as we get moving uh, this morning. So here's a statement. I want you to consider this as I read it. Some of us leave the larger part of ourselves in order to fit in. So we're in a context, we're in a situation, we're in wherever we are, and there's this reality sometimes in life that we leave the larger part of ourselves or we bury the larger part of ourselves in order to fit in to a, to a context uh, that we feel like we've got to lose ourselves in order to be accepted there. Uh, when I'm doing this, when I'm doing this, my focus becomes not on who I am authentically, my focus becomes on what are your expectations of me. And so I lose part of who I am in order to meet whatever expectations you have of me. Some of us leave the larger part of ourselves in order to fit in. As you think about your journey of faith, um, have, you ever, have you ever felt, have you ever showed up at a church? Have you ever showed up in a group, a small group, a church, a ministry, whatever? It, could be, it doesn't even have to be a Christian group. It could be any group. And I show up there, and there's this instinctive feeling that I have that I am an outsider here. Not by show of hands, but I think that there's a lot of us in this room that have probably felt that before. I, I show up, I'm there, and there's a reality of distinction. I am on the outside because of whatever distinctions there are for this particular church ministry group. And so what I begin to think about is what do I look like? And what, what am I wearing and what do I sound like? And what kind of behavior do I have to do in order to fit into this particular group? How do I worship? How do people worship? I need to worship the way they worship. Or I feel, I feel like an outsider and not as an insider. Here's what I wanna say. At Two Rivers, our goal is not turning outsiders into insiders. We reject those distinctions and those definitions. This isn't about, this isn't space for you to figure out how to fit in here. I, it's just, let's just remove all of that distinction. I just wanna say to you, you are welcome here, period. And if we can begin to think less about what I need to do to fit in, we can be safer in an environment just to be our, our authentic selves to get to know one another in a way where people feel genuinely welcomed and accepted and they can belong. The goal of our community at this church is a relational culture of honor and grace. That is the goal. It is not to help you figure out how you become an insider here because there, there are no insiders here. 
This is just, this is just a community of people who are wanting to accept the radical truth of Jesus' grace and to invite more to come along with us. An atmosphere of genuine welcome where people feel genuinely safe. Um, honor is a relational tool. Just what is honor? I, I, I would say that honor is a relational tool that we can use in valuing and accepting and welcoming all people, especially people who are different than us. They look different, they act different, they dress different, they don't have the same story, they don't have the same journey. Honor is a relational tool that we can use so that we, we like Jesus, values all people, who, by the way, every single person has been created in the very image and the very likeness of God. And so we use honor to value and welcome and care for people, especially people who are different. And so the goal is to treat people with honor. The goal is valuing people so that we can establish relationship with each other. And that we don't have to play this insider-outsider game. We can just meet each other and establish relationships. Are you guys with me right now? We can just be together and be free to be together. I think sometimes um, it's better to uh, think about maybe a person uh, so that we can grasp an idea. So I want you to think right now as as I've been uh, opening this conversation this way. Think of a person in your life uh, that is the most inclusive, welcoming, genuine person you've ever met. Someone you know or someone you've met. I want you to get someone in your mind right now. Someone in your life journey. This is the most inclusive person you've ever met because sometimes the easiest way to grasp an idea is to see it in a person. So think of that person. And now I want a few courageous people to tell me what word or sentence, what's one word or one sentence that you would use to describe the person that you're thinking about right now. And if you're willing to do that, just raise your hand. I'll call on you to stand and project. I, didn't, I, don't have, I don't do this sort of thing as a pastor. Like I don't throw this out there and go like, hey, I'm gonna do this thing and I need you three to stand up first. No one has seen my notes. Not even Lindsay knows I'm doing this. So this is just like me rolling the dice here a little bit so I don't have anybody planted. But I'm wondering if there's three or four of you that might be willing just to stand and say, this is a word or a sentence when you're thinking about the most inclusive person you've ever met. I think of my mom. She said to me when I was five, hey, you're old enough, Jason, you can call me grandma. And I'd looked at her, I was like, no, you're just ma. And she is the most inclusive person that I've ever met. She never, ever, ever met someone that she didn't smile and say hello and welcome, inviting people into her arms. She is the most welcoming person. I would say the one word is like her smile. Her smile said everything. A few others, anybody? just greets everyone in the room. Every single person in the room he greets. It's a great, great definition. A few others? Okay, great. Infectiously joyful. Aunt Deborah. I want to meet Aunt Deborah. Warm and kind. Joy greets every person in the room. Smile. Corey. Time. Time. 
He's like, this is great. This is going way better than I could have even imagined. Okay. Yeah. Welcoming. What's up, bro? I agree. I agree. Just welcoming. Like, you don't feel with joy, with kindness, with time, with, I mean, everyone in the room, with, I don't feel like I got to figure out what to do so that you will greet me, accept me. I just feel at ease. I just feel welcomed. This isn't that hard, is it? This isn't that hard. One more. Genuine and intentional. Love it. These are great. Thank you for sharing. In our text today, um, Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians to the churches in Galatia, uses Abraham as the illustration. I've been asking you to talk about your, your, your counselor, your aunt, uh, your friends to like help us understand this inclusivity of what it means to be welcomed. Paul is going to use Abraham uh, as, a, as the illustration today in his fight for the church to understand freedom in Christ, for his, for his fight for the church to understand the radical inclusivity of the gospel of grace in Jesus. The illustration that he puts before the churches in Galatia is Abraham. Anybody grow up in church like me? Father Abraham had many sons. Anyone? Right arm, left arm, stick out your tongue, turn around, all that whole thing. If you didn't grow up in church, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> it's a little cheesy. Let me just say that. But that's who we're talking about. We're going to talk about Abraham. He is the example that Paul uses. And so before we get to Galatians 3, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at a couple of passages from Genesis. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And then Genesis 15, 1 to 6. So I just want to read these. This is going to just contextually help us know where Paul is coming from. So this is the Abrahamic covenant all the way back to Genesis 12. Which, by the way, the Abrahamic covenant came many years, 430 years actually, we'll read in our text today, before the Mosaic Law. So this is way before the Mosaic Law. God makes a covenant with Father Abraham. So Genesis 12, 1 to 3 to start. And the Lord said to Abram, and he changed his name to Abraham, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make, I will, I will, I will, right? I will do these things. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. It's where we get the phrase, you are blessed to be a blessing is from the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I'll skip over to Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. So um, when Abraham was getting this covenant from God, he was 75 years old. And so he's just kind of tripping on this whole thing because he's like, I'm childless. And, I'm, and there's going to be somebody else that's going to be an heir because I don't have a son of my own. 
And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took Abram outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse six, and Abraham believed the Lord. This is really significant verse. Genesis 15, six is a really significant verse. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as, what does your Bible say? Righteousness. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the illustration, this is a story that Paul will use in our passage today. Now, how did Abraham please God? How did, what, what do we see in these two really brief passages and thinking about how Abraham pleased God? And it was not by doing the works of the law. You gotta, you gotta understand this contextually. It was not by doing the works of the law. How do we know that? Because the law wasn't even in place yet. That would, that would happen 430 years later. How did Abraham please God? He pleased God because he had faith. Faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it is, anyone know? It is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is, with faith, God is so pleased. Believing, receiving the abundance of what God has given So with that said, let's look at the passage um, of Galatians 3. Now, I'm going to read, we're going to be from verse 5 today all the way through the end of the chapter. And we're going to read some things that at first glance, you're going to go, what? I'm not sure I understand that. There's a a lot of stuff to cover. And this is a larger kind of swath of um, scripture that we normally engage on. And so you got to stay with me today. So I just want to encourage you, like, we're going to dig in the word. We're gonna dig in the word of God together as a community of faith. And so um, keep your Bible open or keep it on your phone so that you can continue to track with me and stay with me. It's not gonna be just a light and fluffy 10 minute little sermonette and then we're out of here. We're gonna dig in the word of God today. You guys with me on this? Let's study the word and receive what God has for us today. I'm gonna remind you of the last verse that we looked at two weeks ago to give context for uh, why Paul uses Abraham as his illustration. So starting in verse five, looking down to verse nine, he says to the churches in Galatia, it's a rhetorical question, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Verse six, consider Abraham. Let 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 me remind you of Abraham so that you're clearly understanding what I'm saying here. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. If you're newer into like reading the Bible or Christian community, Gentiles just means a non-Jew, a non-Hebrew, a non-Jewish person is a Gentile. The church of Galatia was made up of all non-Jews. 
And Paul is fighting for their freedom to understand that by faith in Christ, they have been grafted into the family of God. It is radically inclusive, not just for the Hebrew people, not just for the Jews, but for anyone who believes. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel. This is so wild, you guys. Announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. The gospel, the radical inclusivity of the gospel of grace in Jesus was announced to Abraham back in Genesis 15. And here's here's the description. All nations will be blessed through you so that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So thinking about that rhetorical question, verse five, Paul asked the churches, when you met Jesus, when, you, when, the, when the gospel was laid out before you and you believed and God began to move and work miracles among you, he takes them back to their day of conversion. He's asking them, did that happen because you obeyed the law or because you simply believed the message? And the implied answer is obviously because we believe. Like that's the rhetorical question. So what Paul's gonna do here is like, if you don't know the obvious answer to the rhetorical question that is only by faith, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you an illustration of Abraham so that my point is very clear with you. And, he, and, and I love that he uses an illustration because illustrations, word pictures, stories, they, they help people understand. They help people get discernment. He said at the beginning of the chapter, you foolish Galatians, we understood this from two weeks ago, that foolish isn't like a moral character thing. It's like you, you lack understanding. Where is your discernment, right? And so he's wanting them to have right understanding and discernment. And he's gonna use Abraham, this illustration, so this point is clear. We think about the ministry of Jesus because stories help us see. That's why Jesus taught in so many parables. When we read the gospel, there's so many parables, illustrations, examples. We all identify with stories because they help us understand. And so we have Abraham. Now for Abraham, for Jewish people, Abraham is the father of their nation, right? The song, Father Abraham. He's the father of their nation. He's the father of the Jewish people. But Paul is using Abraham not to make a distinction of the Jewish people. Paul is using Abraham to talk about all nations, so he, he is going way bigger in his illustration than just the Jewish people, and he is including Gentiles into the story of Abraham to convince the Gentile Christians of the truth of the gospel. And the verse that he quotes in the passage that we just read is Genesis 15, 6. And so let's look at this again. We just read this a few minutes ago. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Again, we need to grab this, like put on your theological brains, okay? Think, think about this. This, was, this promise was given to Abraham before the law. This predates the old covenant Mosaic law. Abraham is pre-Mosaic, and so this is crucial to our theology about the, the justification in Jesus alone by faith alone. All the way back to Abraham, Abraham was justified by his faith. He was justified by his faith. Um, Here's the promise to Abraham, Genesis 12. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make your name great and you're gonna be a blessing. 
promises, promises, promises. Genesis 15, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars. Promises, promises, promises. The promise of the blessedness was made to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants. Yes, yes to the Hebrew people. Yes to the Jewish people. But Abraham's descendants are not only the Jews anymore. This is, this is what Paul's trying to do. It's not just the Jews. Abraham's descendants are for everyone who believes. He says this in verse 7, Galatians 3, 7. Those who believe are children of Abraham. So we're, we, we, we need to understand in, Paul, in Paul's theology that Abraham is not just the father of the Jewish people. Abraham is the father of God's people. And all of God's people are people who believe, believe the message, the simplicity of faith in Jesus. Paul is contending that justification by faith and not by works of the law is not new. I'm gonna read that again so you're tracking with me. Paul is contending that justification by faith and not by works of the law is not new. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Faith alone justifies. The law does not justify us before God. It cannot. And not only that, not only that, the Mosaic law, infusing the Mosaic law into the new covenant reality of Jesus, when we do that and we live under that, Paul's gonna tell us in the next verses, you actually live under a curse. The language that Paul uses over and over and over again in this book is, is it's, it's language that is powerful and it might feel extreme to us to get people's attention. But he's gonna say in these next verses, if you, if you are trying to live under the law as a new covenant believer in Jesus, you are living under a curse. Um, and that's the next passage. So let's look at verses 10 to 14 as we continue moving through Galatians 3. Paul says clearly, verse 10, all who rely on observing the law, the law here is the Mosaic old covenant law. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Here's how the law operates. The law of Moses, the Mosaic law, the old covenant law operates. That system operates by being governed by how you're doing and how you're performing. So the whole system of that old covenant way of thinking is governed by how you are behaving. And when we think performing in this system brings acceptance, justification before God, here's what Paul is saying. When we believe wrongly, that performing in a system 
behavior, doing it right, checking the boxes, all these things. When we believe that that brings acceptance before God, when that's how we think about being in a relationship with God, here's the reality. You are living under a curse. And then he rapid fires four Old Testament passages to help us understand, to help us have discernment about these things. I'm just gonna highlight one of them, and it's the first one that he mentions, Deuteronomy 27, 26, where he says, "'Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law.'" Cursed is everyone, everyone, who does not do everything written in the book of the law. This is is the reality of the old covenant of law. And this is where grace comes in to the old covenant because no one can do everything. And so God sets up the whole sacrificial system of the old covenant and the temple and priests who stand daily and offering sacrifices uh, for people so that they would have a covering for their Sin, Because there's no way everyone can do everything. And so God's grace comes in. He sets up the sacrificial system for them in the old covenant. So in light of this, this verse, Deuteronomy 27, 26, Paul brings their attention to the glory of the, of the cross. And he says in verse 13, Jesus became a curse for you. Jesus took your place. Everyone has to do everything. That's not gonna happen. Jesus steps in. He becomes a curse for us. Substitutionary atonement, verse 13. He redeems us from the curse. Hear this. He did everything for us so that everyone can be free. Here's the literal definition of redeemed. And I think this is helpful for us to understand because we go, oh, Christ is the redeemer. What does, that, what does that mean? The literal translation of redeemed is to be bought up or bought out. Uh, another way of thinking about Christ has redeemed us is he has ransomed. He has ransomed us. Buying back a captive. Think of it this way. Enslaved, enslaved. Buying, buying paying the price to liberate a captive so a captive can be Free. That is what Jesus has done for us. His perfect obedience, Jesus did everything, everything. His perfect obedience and his blood on the cross is our ransom. He bought us back. He is our redeemer. And Christ's redemption absorbed the curse of the law, which means because Jesus was a curse for us, And because of his perfect obedience, what this means is that the era of the old covenant law is over. It is over. It is done. Here's what Paul says in Romans 10. Let's pull this up. I want you to see Deuteronomy 27 alongside Romans 10.4. Christ is the end of the law. I don't know how much more clear we could try to make this in terms of like, reading the Bible and understanding right theology about the Bible. Christ is the end of the law. Let's go do a Greek word study and really dig into what end of the law means. And you're gonna find it means he's the end of the law. It is over. And righteousness for everyone who, tell me, what does that remind you of? 
Abraham, the illustration of the morning. That reminds us of Abraham, Father Abraham. We, we've talked about that already. So I want you to see the change. I want you to look at these two verses and see the change between the old covenant of law and the new covenant of grace. In the old covenant, everyone has to do everything. Have fun with that. Enjoy that. Good luck with that. And in the new covenant, righteousness for some people? You see everyone in both verses? That's what, I want. That's what I'm wanting to point out. I wish I highlighted them yellow. Righteousness for everyone who believes. Meaning we don't have to do anything. That's all done. That's all Jesus. We just have to believe and receive. Believe and receive. Those who believe, those who have faith, those who trust in Christ's redemption and his ransom are forgiven and set free from the demands of everything. Wait, did he just say that? Yes, I just said that. When we trust and when we believe and we have faith in Jesus and his perfect, that he's the end of the law. When we believe that, when we receive that, we are forgiven, we are set free from the demands of everything. What's the demands of the old covenant? Everyone has to do everything. And Jesus was a curse for us. There are no conditions for God's forgiveness and justification, no conditions apart from faith, belief. Just believe, receive. No requirements. Everything has been done. But here's what trips us up. Here's where we get caught up. Here's where, here's where we, we, we walk away from freedom. Here's how we, we live. Here's how we get bewitched. Two weeks ago, we talked about Paul. Like, who has bewitched you? Who has put you under a spell of darkness? Here's how we get tripped up. And, 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 and we, we come under the curse of the law. Uh, we add things to Jesus. Jesus has done everything for everyone. Just believe and be, you're righteous, right? It's, it's, this is where we get tripped up. We add things. We, we turn the church into outsiders and insiders. We walk away from the radical inclusivity of the gospel and we put distinctions on things. And Jesus came to liberate us from this curse. So why would anyone still live in that? Why would we be so foolish? But we all, we, we struggle with this. So many of us struggle with this. So suppose some of us, a few of us, one of us, whoever, whatever, we are determined, we're like, you know what? Yes, I'm saved by grace, but I'm going to perfect in the flesh. I'm gonna perfect by my good works, by my doing. I'm gonna be, a, I'm gonna be the strongest Christian in the room. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna have the most consistent, quiet. I'm gonna do this thing, right? I'm gonna perfect in the flesh what God has done by his grace. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna obey the law. What's the inevitable consequence of that? And I, I just want us to play this all the way out. Like if there is a requirement of me for God to accept me, forgive me, love me, welcome, if there is anything that I must do, let's just play the whole thing out. Every iota must be obeyed. Every iota, every, remember do, the, the passage from Deuteronomy, everyone must do everything. No man has ever succeeded, no man will ever succeed in always keeping the law. Therefore, those that are determined to live by the law are under a curse. And Paul says it this way later in the book, a little leaven, a little bit of the law 
leavens the entire lump of the dough of what we're trying to create here, which is an atmosphere of freedom in Christ and grace. So we have to be really careful. Have to be really careful. Here's how it creeps in. Here's how the curse of the law creeps in. Uh, for any of you that have been to our Connect class, uh, you've heard this analogy, this part before. If you're coming today at 4.30 to our Connect class, you'll hear this again. Uh, how many people in the room, show, actual show of hands, how many people in this room who grew up in church remember being a child in elementary school and memorizing the Ten Commandments like I did? Raise them high, keep them up, keep them up. Would you guys agree? Is this the majority of the room? Did you guys say it's the, I think that's, it's at least half, maybe the majority of the room. Okay. A lot of us in the room did that. Boy, we got those things locked down. We got the 10, how's that been going for you guys over the years? Yeah, has that been going good? Everyone's got to do everything, right? How's that working out for you? Here's, here's what happens. It's honestly, it's not a bad exercise for our kids to be exposed to the summary of the old covenant, which that's what the 10 commandments are. The 10 commandments is basically a summary of the old covenant. As long as we are teaching them at the same time, Christ did all this for you. He's the end of the law and he has righteousness for everyone who believes. So how many in the room, when you memorize those 10 commandments, memorize the 10 commandments and you're being taught by a Sunday school teacher, Romans 10, 4, which says Christ is the end of the law and righteousness for everyone who believes. And we have to make sure that as we're looking at the 10 commandments, we have to make sure that we, we understand and know we're in the new covenant of grace now and Jesus has done all this for us and Jesus is the end of the law and the righteousness. How many got that teaching? Not a one of us. You guys, I've never met someone I've never met someone that said, yeah, yeah, I was taught the 10, you, do you know who's getting it now? Becca Miller and her team are leading our kids to understand rightly how to understand the old covenant through the lens of the new. We're raising our kids up that way because what happens when we don't is this. When we give the 10 commandments to our children and we don't help them understand that Christ is the end of the law and righteousness for everyone who believes, what does, a, what does a child think in terms of their understanding of believing God, following God? Is their perspective on what Jesus has done or is their perspective on what I'm supposed to do? Rhetorical question. What I'm supposed to do, right? Is that freedom? Is that the message of Galatians? Is that, is that what we see Paul teaching us? They see God through the lens of rules and behavior and not through Jesus and faith and grace. And no wonder, no wonder why so many kids, when they graduate from high school and they go to college, some reports say 80% or higher, they leave the church. And you know what? I don't even blame them because they're so tired of living under the curse of legalism. They're so exhausted from living under the, we're calling it abundant life. We're calling it abundant life. And the reality is we're putting our own kids under a curse. It's not the gospel and it's not freedom. The law and faith, the old covenant law of Moses and faith in Jesus, they are antithetic to each other. It is not both and, it is either or. You cannot direct your life by both. It is either Jesus or the law. It is not Jesus plus the law. It is either Jesus or the law. Legalism does not trust in Jesus alone by faith alone 
grace alone to transform a person's mind and heart in the way of Jesus. And so we add, we go and we add things to Jesus and we put people under an old covenant curse when we do it. Are y'all with me right now? Breaking the curse is easy, by the way. Breaking the curse is like, ba-bam. And it's just this. Here's Paul. Want to break the curse? The only choice for peace and blessing is to abandon the way of legalism and believe in grace, taking God at his word and trusting in his love for you. It is walking away from thinking about that I'm under a contract or a covenant with God that is two-way. God gives something, then I got to give something. There's a requirement on me. The easiest way to, to break the curse is to ask God to give you insight and discernment into justification by faith alone so that you can understand that the gospel of grace is one-way love with no requirement whatsoever on you. And that's what Paul's gonna continue to unpack. Don't believe me because I'm saying it. Believe me because we see it in the word of God. Verse 15. Uh, Told y'all we were gonna keep digging. We're going to the end of the chapter. It's 11 right now. I'm just getting started. Let's go, let's go. Okay, 15. Brothers, let me, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is with this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Seed is singular. Radical inclusivity of the gospel. The illustration is Abraham. Who is the seed? Jesus. The promise were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Singular, Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. All the way back to Abraham. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law, here's the chronology, introduced 430 years later. 400 years later after what? What's the illustration of the morning? Father Abraham. So 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant came the Mosaic old covenant of law. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. It's always been a promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Are you picking up what Paul is laying down for us? Now here, Paul was an expert in scholastic, like rabbinic academies. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a scholar of the time. And he was a trained rabbi and he's using their own methods of argument. Why? Because the Judaizers from Jerusalem came up to Galatia and messed everybody up and they were experts. And Paul's like, Look, I can play this game too. Let's think about this clearly um, as I'm helping you understand freedom. This would have been really easily understood by Jewish Christians reading this letter, but for Gentiles, we've gotta think. We've gotta think about this. So here's the purpose here from these verses. 
to show the, superior, the superiority of the way of grace, the way of promise, the superiority of the way of grace over the way of the law. And he makes a few points. The way of grace is older. It came first 430 years before. The law cannot alter the earlier way of faith. It was faith that set Abraham right with God and faith is still the only way to be justified. And again, what's important in these verses, seed, singular, is Jesus. The covenant finds its consummation in Jesus. He is the promise fulfilled. Now, these next few verses is where it gets a little difficult. We're not gonna spend a ton of time on it, uh, but just know that the verses that I'm about to read next there's like, I mean, you could read on this stuff. There are, there are so many different things written about these verses because it's a little confusing when you first read this. Okay, so uh, verses 19 to 22, Paul continues on. And let's, let's have this context in mind. What is the, the laser focus of Paul's uh, passion in this book? It is for people to be set free in grace. And so with that context in mind, that helps us kind of grapple with some of these verses that are a bit more confusing. Verse 19, what then was, uh, is that what I'm on, 19? What, what then was the purpose of the law? Wait, yeah. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. What the what? The law... The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, a mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna help you understand this. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Again, there's hundreds of interpretations of what, what we just read. Um, context is king. The context of Galatians, the superiority of grace to the law. Here's the four points that Paul makes about the law in these four persons. And I'll just tell you guys, I'm on the second last page. Here's the last page. So we're almost there. We're almost there. Hang with me. Hang with me. Okay? Four points about the law here. Why the law at all? I mean, he's, just, he's giving that room to breathe, right? He's teaching. He's teaching. He's like, well, what's the, whole, what's the purpose of it anyway? I mean, if, like, why the law to begin with? And basically what Paul's saying here is that where there is no law, there's no sin. Therefore, the function of the law is to define sin. Now, while the law certainly can define it, the law doesn't empower us or save us from the penalty for it. So why the law at all? To help people understand their need of a savior. Who gave the law? Rabbis, th th this is where, the, where we get confused. This is who gave the law. So rabbis at the time, when you do like study of like first century Judaism, Rabbis at the time believed that God was so holy that he would not even deal directly with them. So the thought of the time was that God gave the Mosaic law to angels who then gave it to Moses. There was a, a mediator in between the giving of the law from God to Moses. The mediator were, were, were angels. That was the common thought from rabbis at the time. And so Paul's using that in his argument. 
And comparing this mediator, comparing that to the promise that God gave to Abraham, he's saying compared with the promise that was given directly by God to Abraham, the law is secondhand. So not only did it come 430 years later, there's also a reality that the promise of God was given directly to Abraham. And he says, so there, there can be no such thing as a mediator of one, God is one, huh? Think of it this way, old covenant, old covenant, two-way covenant, two-way covenant between God and man. An agreement founded on law always involves two people. It's a two-way covenant. It depends on both sides keeping their part of the contract, right? That's the old covenant. But a promise, a promise, which is what he's talking about here, the promise to Abraham is ours by faith. A promise depends on only one person, God keeping his promise over and over and over and over again. And this goes all the way back to Abraham. The way of grace depends wholly on God. Man can do nothing to alter the promise. It is a one-way covenant. And in a one-way covenant of grace that we are in in Jesus, a person, a person may sin, but the grace and love of God remains the same. John says in 1 John chapter 2, like, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin. I'm writing these things to you so that you understand that grace empowers you to be transformed. But if you do sin, we have an intercessory. We have a mediator. His name is Jesus. And he reminds us that we are forgiven and set free. So what is better, to depend on grace and God's one-way love or on your own efforts to achieve perfection? Everyone has to do everything. Which way is better? Like, what do you wanna do, churches in Galatia? What do you wanna do, Two Rivers Church? To Paul, it was weakness of the law to have any dependency on me. To have any dependency on me, shaky, shaky, shaky. Paul is clamoring, he is debating, he is preaching, he is teaching. The way of Jesus wholly depends on God keeping his promises to which we can just go, hallelujah, hallelujah. Is the law antithetic to grace? You would think that Paul might say yes, but actually he says no. What the law does is it helps us understand the majesty and the beauty of grace. The law helps us understand, I need a savior. And we have one and his name is Jesus. So the law is an antithetic to grace. The law has a purpose, define sin, help us understand that we can't do everything, brings us to our knees in humility. I need a savior. Here's the message, you got one, his name is Jesus. He's already done everything for you. You're forgiven and free. You get a seat at the banquet table and it's grace upon grace upon grace from there. This is the message that Paul is proclaiming. We'll finish here. Let's continue to read, and I'm almost done, I promise. Having one service allows me to preach a little longer, by the way. So get ready for that this summer. We don't have to, like, get out of here for the next, kind of coming back home a little bit. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge, hear this, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. That's the grace of the law, to lead you to Jesus so that we might be justified by, what does it say? Faith. 
Faith, faith, faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Christ is the end of the law, righteousness for everyone who believes. Now that grace has come, now that faith has come, Jesus, the inauguration of the new covenant, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all, he's, he's, remember, he's preaching to the church in Galatia who are caught up in this like faulty gospel message that wasn't the gospel at all, that they needed to add circumcision, they needed to add the law to Jesus. And he's reminding him, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. You are home. It has been done. It is finished. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Verse 28, speaking about the radical inclusivity of the gospel, speaking about a culture of grace and honor in the community of faith, Paul says these famous words. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is radical, radical stuff that Paul is teaching. Um, There was a... um, Jewish morning prayer that Jewish men would pray when uh, at this time in history. And here's the morning prayer that Jewish men would pray. Thank you, God, that thou has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. True. Paul takes that prayer, flips it on its head. Right? The old distinctions are gone. Everything that we do as humans, we want to make distinctions. Outsiders and insiders. No, 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 no. Are y'all with me right? No, no. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Here, here, is, here is the inherit that we that every person, when you believe, you inherit the promise. Here's a word close. Worship team, you guys can come back up. Uh, God is in the blessing business, you guys. It's one-way love. He is in the blessing business. The new covenant of grace is one-way love, and one-way love doesn't require anything in return. God is delighted to favor his sons and daughters, and his sons and daughters are those who believe and receive. Heirs according to the promise. So here it is. I will bless you. Heirs according to the promise, the promise, the promise. What's the illustration of the morning? Abraham, I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. We are heirs to that promise. By faith, you are adopted into God's family. Everything God has belongs to you. You are deeply loved. You are highly favored. You are greatly blessed. You are deeply loved. You are highly favored. You are deeply blessed. Love people, loved people, love people. Blessed people, they can't even help it. They bless people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. I just, um, 
I thank you for the illustration of Abraham that came before the law, helping us understand the freedom that we have in Christ and the new covenant. So I just pray that as we continue to consider this message from Paul to the Galatian church, that we would receive it freshly as Two Rivers Church and that we would stand in freedom and not submit again to any yoke of slavery to the law. We proclaim and believe Christ is the end of the law. He is the end of merit and he is righteousness for everyone who believes. In Jesus' name, amen.